At Northside, we value radical generosity. We believe the giving of our financial resources is both a wonderful privilege and a tremendous responsibility. Therefore, we should strive to grow in the grace of giving. When we're obedient in our giving, we will be able to carry out the mission of the church and the ministry to the church. We serve a generous God. Everything that we have belongs to Him, and we want to be good stewards. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. That's where we're going to start as we look at God's Word. We're wrapping up a three-part series this morning that we've called The Steward. That word used in the Old Testament for steward literally means a property manager. You see, the Bible teaches that God is the owner of everything in creation, and we are his property managers. God has entrusted us to faithfully and profitably manage the resources that he has put in our care, that he has put into our trust. Now, for some of us, that whole idea sounds kind of strange that God's the owner and we're the property manager. We have the idea that what is mine is mine, that, that we worked hard for what we have. It's my money, it's my talents, it's my business. But the truth is nothing is yours. It's not even on loan to you from God. It's God's and he has entrusted us to manage it for his glory and his honor. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy. The highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord. The highest heavens, the earth, everything in it, all of it belongs to the Lord. The psalmist David said it this way. He said, the heavens are yours. The earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. The heavens, everything out there, the earth, everything down here, and everything in between belongs to God because God created it all. You see, we are the owners of nothing. We are the stewards of everything. And when that one truth sinks in, it will literally change everything about your life. It will change the way you give. And it will change the way you spend. It will change the way you serve. And it will change the way you work. You will see everything as an opportunity to honor God with the resources, with the talents that he has entrusted to you. Now in week one, we focused on how we are to steward the financial resources that God has put in our care. And, and as we looked at the passage that, from a story that Jesus told, we learned three truths about how we are to steward our financial resources. The first truth is this. We need to invest in the future. And the way that we do that is to make sure that people will be in heaven by the way that we use the financial resources that God has given us. Jesus said it this way. He said, they will welcome you into your eternal home. In other words, 
What Jesus is saying there is this. If we are using the financial resources that God has entrusted in our care the way that we are supposed to, there will be people in heaven that when we get there, they will welcome us to heaven saying, thank you for giving your resources, for giving what you have. I'm here because of what you gave. I'm here because of what you did. We invest in the future. The second truth that Jesus taught is that we are to be faithful with what we have. Jesus said if we are faithful in a little, then we will have the opportunity to be faithful with much. But here's the problem. Most of us have this idea that when we get much, that's when we'll be faithful. When we get to a certain level financially, then that's when we'll begin to be generous. But God says that's not true. That's not how it works. Jesus said if you're not faithful when you just have a little, when you don't have much, then you're not going to be faithful when you have a lot. You see, when you don't have much, that's when you need to establish an attitude of generosity. The third truth Jesus told us is this. We need to keep first things first. We need to always put God first in our life. You see, we don't use God in our pursuit of money. We use our money and our resources to honor and bring glory to God. So we steward the financial resources that God has put in our care. What we learned last week is that we steward the natural abilities, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Every single one of us, whoever we are, have been entrusted by God with certain gifts, certain abilities, and we're to use those for his glory. Now let me remind you, we don't covet other people's gifts and other people's abilities. That's what we oftentimes do. We look at somebody else's gift and we say, I wish I had their gift. We look at their ability and we say, I wish I had their ability. But the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that you are God's masterpiece, created by God to do good works. You see, God created you for a reason. God created you for a purpose. And the truth of the matter is, you are an expert at something. There is something that you can do. God has gifted you. God has given you the ability in those areas to do some things better than most people. And the key, the secret, is finding out what that is and then embracing it and using it for God's glory. But today, as we wrap up this series, I want us to really focus on what I believe the Bible teaches is the most important thing that we are to steward. The truth of the matter is, the way that we steward our resources, the way we steward our abilities and our gifts really should be used as we steward this particular area. Everything in life for me as a Christian hinges upon my stewardship in this area. So you say, what is it? Well, listen to what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the, the New American Standard. It says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards. Now, there's that word stewards, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards 
that one be found trustworthy, that one be found faithful. So the Apostle Paul says that we are servants of God, stewards of the mysteries of God. But what does this mean? What does this mean that we are stewards, we're managers entrusted with the mysteries of God? Well, you need to understand in the Bible, a mystery is something which was at one time hidden, but has now been revealed to the people of God. Did you get that? A mystery in the Bible in the New Testament is something that was at one time hidden, secret, but has now been revealed to the people of God. So what is this mystery that we have been entrusted with? Well, listen to what it says in Romans 16, beginning in verse 25. Now, in all glory to God, who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan. A mystery kept secret from the beginning of time. And so Paul says that the mystery that has been kept secret from the very beginning of time is the message of Jesus Christ. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all nations, to all people, so that they might believe and obey. And so the apostle Paul says there's this mystery that God kept silent from the beginning of time. In other words, God had this planned at the very beginning. And this mystery was made known when Jesus came to earth. And this mystery needs to be proclaimed to everyone, to the entire world. This is not simply a message for a chosen select group. This is a message for everyone. And we need to proclaim it so that people will believe it and obey it. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said this, Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in human body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world. And he was taken to heaven in glory. You see, the mystery that the Bible says that we are to be good stewards, faithful stewards of, is the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm to be honest with you, everything about Jesus is a little mysterious. It's very simple, it's straightforward, it's easy to read and understand the facts, but the truth is, it's also a little mysterious, isn't it? Because the majority of the people in the world reject the message of Jesus. It doesn't make sense to them. Think about it. The Apostle Paul said, God's son, Jesus, came in human flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died a cruel death he did not deserve. He defeated death by being resurrected from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He is coming back again. And he did all that to save each and every one of us from our sin. Each and every one of us. You see, from the time of Abraham... 
The Israelites knew that they were God's chosen people, that God loved them. God had called them to be a part of his family. But now through Jesus, God is proclaiming to the entire world, I want you to be a part of my family. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your race is, your nationality is, your ethnicity is. I want you to be a part of my family. I am bringing you into the family of God. That's the message that Paul was called to steward. And Paul took this very seriously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I have a stewardship that has been entrusted to me. That word stewardship is what a steward does. A steward has stewardship over things. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul said this, God has given me the stewardship of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you so we tell others about Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, he said, pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Paul was committed to the stewardship he had been given to the point that he was willing to go to prison. And he was in prison when he wrote the letter to the church at Colossae. And he was willing to die, which he did for the sake of the gospel. So Paul was a good steward of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. But how can you and I, today in, in 21st century America, how can we be faithful stewards of the gospel? Well, let me give you three things that I believe are a vital part if you're going to be a faithful steward. And when you stand before God, he's going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Three things that you need to do if you're going to be a faithful steward of the gospel. First of all, you need to live it. You see, the gospel, the message of Jesus, is a message of changed life. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. Jesus came to give us a new life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Everything has become new. I want you to understand this morning that the gospel, the good news, the mystery that we are to steward is a mystery of changed life. The gospel changes us. The gospel changes our heart. It changes our mind. It changes our mouth. It changes everything. And the gospel changes us from the inside out. You, you see, the gospel isn't some self-help strategy giving us a step-by-step -step plan for how we can overcome our bad habits and our hang-ups. No, the gospel tells us how God can overcome your bad habits and your hang-ups. You see, the gospel tells us that God in his mercy and his grace can give you a fresh start. He can give you a new beginning. Jesus called it being born again. God's Spirit 
comes to live in us and, and begins to work in us and it flows through us so that we could do things that we could never do on our own. And the truth of the matter is that we never wanted to do on our own. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. He said, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven. Focus on, on heaven, this new life with Christ, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. The, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that when the gospel takes our life over, the gospel changes us and we put to death an old way of life and we begin to live a new way under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said in Colossians 4 verse 5, live wisely among those who are not believers. How are we to live wisely? We are to make sure that we are fleshing out the gospel. Understand, the number one proof that the gospel is real is a changed life. So let me ask you, are you living a changed life? When people look at you, do they see a difference in you that is a result of the gospel changing you if the gospel is coming to your life you're living a changed life so we live it we live authentic christian lives second thing we do if we want to be good stewards of the gospel is we pray it now what does that mean well we pray for people who need the gospel every one of us need our list of people that we're praying for I have a list of people. My list is on my phone in a, in a prayer guide that I have on my phone of people that I regularly pray for that God would save them, that God would convict them, that God would change their heart. Who are you praying for? We pray for missionaries who are taking the gospel around the world. We pray for our church planners that we support, people like Devaraju in India. We pray for the partnership that we are establishing to reach the, the unreached people in, in, in um, Sudan and Egypt. We pray for our, our mission partnerships. We pray for missionaries by name. We pray for churches that they would be bold in proclaiming the gospel. We pray that God would give us divine encounters with people that need Jesus. I mean, the number one thing that we can do as followers of Jesus is to pray for people to be saved. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy. He said, I urge you first of all. Did you get that? I urge you first of all, before you do anything else, to pray for all people. I urge you first, before you share the gospel, before you do anything to help people, before you do anything, pray for all people. And then he says, because God wants all people 
to be saved. I want you to listen very carefully. If there's one thing you need to understand today, the battle that we are fighting today is not out here in the physical world. The battle that we are fighting is in the spiritual unseen realm. And the way that we fight that battle is in prayer on our knees before God. Understand, we can change laws, but if we never change hearts, nothing is going to really be changed. It's only through prayer and spiritual warfare that hearts are changed forever. And so we need to make sure that we're praying for people to be saved. So let me ask you a question. When you look at your prayer life, what does it look like? Does your prayer life primarily consist of, Lord, um, meet my needs, Lord, heal, and we talk about the physical needs that need to be healed, Lord, Lord, I pray that you'll give so-and-so a job, Lord, I pray that you'll do this, and we, we talk about those kind of things, the physical realm, is that where the primary focus of your prayer life is? Or are you focusing first and foremost on the spiritual? Praying that God will do what only God can do. Here's what I know. Nothing I will ever say can change your heart. Nothing I ever say can convict you and cause you to be born again. I can't do it. Only God can do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's why we pray. That's why we pray down strongholds. That's why we pray that God would convict. That's why we pray that God would make people miserable in their sin. We pray that God would do things that we can't do and that God would save them. God can use our words, but unless their hearts are stirred by God, they will never be saved. And so we have to pray diligently. So we live it. We live an authentic Christian life. The number one proof that the gospel is real is a changed life. We pray it. We pray that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will touch hearts, save people for eternity. And then the third thing we do is we share it. We share the gospel. Now, there's two primary ways we share. The first way is through sharing our story. Every born-again believer has a story. I want you to listen. Every born-again believer has a story of when you got saved. Some of you may say, well, I don't have a story. I've always been a Christian. No one, hear me, no one has always been a Christian. I was born in a Christian home with a dad who was a pastor who, who pastored for, for 40 plus years, 50 years. He served churches faithfully. I'm not saved because I was raised in a Christian home. I was saved because I came to the realization I was lost and needed a Savior. Every person that is saved has a story of how they were saved. And we can use our story to tell other people about Jesus. Now, what does your story consist of? Your story consists of your life before Jesus. What was your life like before Jesus? Maybe you were raised in church, you never really did anything bad and, and all of that, and you accepted Jesus at an early age. Well, your story is, I was raised in church. 
I, I, was, I was raised being told about Jesus, but I didn't know him personally because you don't. You have to come to know him. You have to be born again. My life before Christ, how I came to know Christ, what was it? Who was it? Where were you? There's a moment in time when everyone is saved. And then what difference is Jesus making in your life? You see, we have a story to tell. And your story can be used by God to bring people into his kingdom. And so what do you do? Well, in your course of conversation, you say, hey, can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? I mean, goodness gracious, in the world we're living in right now, there's all kinds of opportunities. I mean, people sit back and go, man, the world's crazy, isn't it? So you better believe it is. I'm glad I'm, my hope's not in this world. Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? He said, I'm scared to death. I don't know what's going to happen. Man, I used to be scared to death too, but Jesus changed me and he's taken my fears away. Can I tell you how he did that? I, I mean, you're, you're just looking for those opportunities to tell somebody what Jesus has done in your everyday conversations of life. What was your life like before Jesus? How did you give your life to Jesus? What difference is he making in your life? And then the second way that we share the gospel is through sharing the gospel. And there are a number of different ways that you can use to share the gospel story. What I do, and I like to do, is I like to weave my story in. And then I tell people, if you would like to give your life to Jesus, it's as simple as A, B, C. I use the A, B, C. The A, I've got to admit I've got a problem I, don't, I can't solve, and that problem is sin. You see, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous. None of us are good enough to get to heaven. We're sinners by nature. We were born sinners. It's in our DNA. It's in our genetic makeup. It comes from our, our ancestors, Adam and Eve. They sinned against God, and it resulted in each and every one of us being born sinners. But we also choose to sin. Every one of us make decisions to rebel against God. We're sinners. And the Bible says that sin separates us from God. Not just here on earth, but it separates us from God for all eternity in a place called hell. You see, I've got to admit I've got a problem I can't solve. I can't do anything about my, my sin on my own. I can't take it away. Second thing I've got to do is I've got to believe. That's the B. I've got to believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth for one purpose, and that was to solve my problem. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to this earth to give us an example. He came to this earth to die. He came to earth to be the sacrifice for my sin. That's why he came. And the Bible says that if we will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. If we will believe that Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the grave, so we can be forgiven, we can be saved. But understand, belief isn't just knowing facts. The Bible says you believe that there's one God, great. The devil also believes. He trembles. No, no belief is, is coming to the point where we turn from our sinful, self-centered life and we place our trust in Jesus. That's what belief is. So we believe. We turn from sin. We place all of our trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save us. But then that leads to the third thing. That's the C. We commit. We commit our life to Jesus. 
The Bible says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we confess that Jesus is our Lord, that word Lord means master. It means owner. It means the sovereign ruler. What we are saying is we're confessing from here on out, Jesus is in control. I'm giving him my life. I'm surrendering everything to him. I'm following him. You see, we, we don't pray a prayer and get saved. We surrender our lives and we get saved. We can do that through a prayer, but it's the surrender that saves us. So would you like to do that? That's the gospel. It's as simple as ABC. Now here's the deal. If we are Christ followers, we are called to be stewards of the gospel. We need to live it. We need to pray it. We need to share it. But understand there's something that's even more important than any of those. Before we can do those, we need to first of all experience it. And so let me ask you a question this morning. Have you experienced the gospel? I mean, when I say that the gospel changes your life, has your life been changed? I mean, really, really changed. Because here's what I know. Listen, here's what I know. If the Bible's true, and it is, and if Jesus is honest, and he is, Jesus said that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what that tells me is that there are going to be a lot of people that when this life is over, they're going to stand before God. And they're going to have put their trust in something to save them that hasn't saved them. And that would be the greatest tragedy in history. To go through life thinking everything's okay between you and God because of something you did. And then standing before God and realizing that you put your hope and something that can't save you. The gospel changes you. Now here's the good news. God doesn't want you to die deceived. Did you hear me? God doesn't want you to go into eternity and he said, boy, you missed it. Ha, ha, ha. No. God's going to do everything within his power to show you. And to draw you to himself because he loves you. And he wants you to be a part of his family. So, I believe with all my heart, if you're here and you say, well, I, I did this when I was younger. I got baptized. I walked forward. I prayed a prayer. But there's something nagging at you inside. That something nagging at you is the Holy Spirit. Letting you know it's not right. You've never surrendered. 
never been born again. And what you need to do is you need to humble yourself once for all. Fall on your face before God and ask Him to save you. Because the gospel will change your life. You won't be perfect until you get to be with Him and you're made completely perfect, but you're going to be changed from the inside out. He's going to change your mind. He's going to change your mouth. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your desires. He's going to change you. You've been saved. So have you. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. I believe that right now, and if you're here, and you're not saved, and the Holy Spirit is working on you, you know it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And so if that's you, I want to ask you, will you humble yourself? Will you call out to him right now? And if you want to, you can pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you this morning admitting that I'm a sinner. I've tried to do things my way. I've tried to live life my way. I'm sorry. I know my best is never going to be good enough. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross as the sacrifice for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. And today, I'm turning from a self-willed life and I'm trusting you. I'm giving my all to you this moment on I want to follow you thank you for hearing my prayer thank you for saving